what are we doing today? That's your bit. I don't know. But I don't always have to have a bit. We could we could just have a nice conversation together. Okay. Teach me things. Okay. Do you remember what the name of the podcast is? Yes, it's Alternative Theater <laughs> History. I am your co-host, Brittany. I am your co-host, Alex. And, and we're already on episode five that's today. That's crazy. That's nuts. Yeah, I know. So do you know what we're talking about today? We're talking, well, things are on fire. Uh, people are getting rowdy. Are you talking about like out like and just right in the now, world in, in the general? World right now? Yes. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I agree. Like it's themed to that, right? Uh, I mean, that wasn't intentional, but it, <laughs> it does seem to fit that. Yeah, um, we're getting ready to go into the spooky month of October. This is true, but we're not there yet. The best. We're one. on the cusp. Exactly. So I wanted to look at something that is kind of it. It's a good precursor to what to expect in the upcoming month of the spookums the spookums indeed the halloween fun Mm -hmm. because honestly october is the best month because halloween is the best holiday you can fight me on that if you'd like (laughs) 2020 might argue against that but well yes generally everything in 2020 2020 kind of it's it's true everything 2020 is on fire yes much like our topic today? Actually, no. Oh, okay. Which is surprising, because yeah. usually when we think about theaters, they catch fire. They do, a lot. They catch fire Especially older lot. theaters. It was oh, all yeah. that gaslight. Gaslight. Limelight. And, and the fact that they were made out of wood primarily. <laughs> so we are going to be discussing a little thing called the Astor Place Riots. Mm-hmm. What do you know, if anything, of the Astor Place Riots? Well, a riot uh-huh. uh, can be many things. Sometimes, this is true. Sometimes it is uh, a violent uh-huh. uh, mob. Uh-huh. Uh, other times it is just something very humorous. Like, that was that a riot. That was a riot. Okay. Um, so I'm going to say that... You, uh, stop looking at the notes. No, I was just double checking that uh, it's the Aster place. Yes, right, right. correct. Okay, so um, Aster was a... Prominent club owner and true. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, <laughs> and his place. I mean, uh, his he... cool, his cool spot. No, 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 was, no, no, no. Was no, you're going the wrong just route. Just the hip, the hippest place to be. No. Dog, you know. No, no, no. no. John a... Jacob Astor owned a lot of real estate. Astor's place is just a riot. It's just okay. I know it's not the. <laughs> Absolutely not. So, so like legit though. No, uh, no joke out. Uh, no legitimate. I actually do you know, don't. Do you know anything about it? Do you... I want to say time period is early twentieth century. Very close. Mid nineteenth century. Okay. All right. Oh, okay. Well, mid nineteenth or early twentieth. That's that's fifty years. Within, yeah. I mean, <laughs> nothing you didn't between friends. What's fifty years between and like friends? ancient Greece or something? So yeah. you know, all things considered, okay, in the, sure, the realm of sure. history, time is relative. Fifty and, years isn't bad, but yeah. Sure. Yeah. No. Uh, I, I, honestly, I really have no. Cool. Like, I mean, I know what a riot is, and I'm sure okay. it had something to do with like you know people oh, getting upset. But I am so ready. Mm-hmm. So I I have outlined this particular event because it is an event. It is, it is a moment in time that is, it is important for multiple reasons. Mm-hmm. So I've outlined it in, in kind of like a dramatist persona. You know what I mean? Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. So I have our setting. Mm-hmm. Start with our setting. We are mid-19th century. 
New York City. Oh. Yeah. See? <laughs> That's all you're going to get out of me because it's not good. Yes. Um, so the population of New York City had grown from roughly 60,000 people in 1800 to 515,000 people in 50 years. So by 1850. So that is a massive influx of population. Mm -hmm. Um, the opening of the Erie Canal in 1821 made the city a hub of transportation as well as for just transporting bodies as well as goods. Right. So moving into the center of North America from basically anybody that had come over and brought things from Europe could then dock in New York City and go further. Right, we're getting to we're getting to the point where New York is becoming a huge, New York. It's exactly, the, it is the, becoming the, kind the of what we expected, like we think of today. So there was very little um, conversation about like city infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And how to adjust for this massive influx of population. <laughs> mm -hmm. A large part of that population growth, not only was it from the Erie Canal and just the New York becoming a bigger scene, mm -hmm. but also this is the same, roughly the same time as we see the potato famine in Ireland. Not the potatoes. A lot of disenfranchised Irish immigrants right. came yep. to New York mm -hmm. City as well. Mm -hmm. So many of which, how do you think that they felt about Britain in general? Probably pretty crappy. Yeah, yeah. They pretty much blamed Britain on the whole right. uh, the whole famine on Britain. Um, the British stole me potatoes. Exactly. And to be lucky char. Oh my god. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of both. So there's there's constantly there's like we to give you the full setting, yes. you have New York, it's bustling, it's just suddenly gotten huge. Yeah. There is an influx of people. Some of those people, or a number of those people, are Irish immigrants. And you have this, this kind of, like, nativism starting as well. So it's like this anti-British sentiments that are starting to really kind of take hold. And at this point, we're seeing, like, the first real set of American citizens. Like, their full generation. They've never been abroad sort of thing. They were born here. They were raised here. True Americans. Murica, <laughs> bald eagles and everything. So the place, mm -hmm. obviously New York City, but more specifically, Astor's Astor Place, ah. also known as the Astor Place Theater, also known as the Astor Place or the Astor Opera House. Mm -hmm. um, the the branding for this had some real issues. Um, <laughs> it was <laughs> it opened in 1847 as the Astor Opera House. Okay. With the intention to cater to the upper echelons of New York society. For the opera. It is for the opera. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's not the Astor Place Theater. It is the Astor Opera House. We, we are not interested in the groundlings. We want, to, we want to cater Correct. to the caviar. The aim was to bring European high culture mm -hmm. to New York City. The, the dress code is amazing. So... <laughs> <laughs> Two things of three piece a tuxedos note. for everyone. Evening wear for mm -hmm. ladies, sure. evening coats for men. Mm -hmm. And the best part about it for men, they had to be cleanly shaven. Interesting. Clean shaven and wear their kid gloves. Well, that's okay. That's for this period in time. That's yeah, but a, how often did you really see people with kid gloves? When Especially they, when in they New York went City. To the opera. Exactly. It's this, it's, and they still do that. Oh, that's a valid point. <laughs> that's why I've never been to the opera. 
Um, I don't have kid gloves. Kid gloves came off. But the theater itself, the opera house itself, mm-hmm. was built at the top of the district known as the Bowery. Okay. Have you heard of that before? I've heard the name before. Okay. I feel like it's used in several other like media as like. Oh yeah. Oh, going down to the Bowery. It's like the, yes. It's like the and Bowery. Is it like the slums? Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it wasn't. Or it's usually. It, it it's, wasn't like the slums, right, sure. but it was. It was a lower class, lower middle right, class right, right. area. Yeah. Um, those are the kind of people that live in the Bowery. Those are the kind of people that frequent the establishments that are in the Bowery. And this opera house was positioned right at the top of the Bowery district, Mm -hmm. literally looking down on the Bowery. Come get a little bit of opera and while you're at it, watch the poor. (laughs) So there's a lot going on here. It's, there's this social class mm-hmm. thing going oh, on. Yeah. We see this nativism, so we're trying to bring British theatrical style right, there's that, and the, elitism. Yeah, there's the elitism being, of the British, yeah. but they yeah. don't want anything to do with the British. Exactly. The British. So you have, well, the upper echelons were fine with the British. Well, sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. They wanted to emulate right. the high society of the British, whereas the good old American boys and girls didn't... Red bloods versus blue bloods. Exactly. Yep, yep. So we're, to to kind of make it a super generalizing way. But yes, that's that's what we're looking at here. So the two main characters. English actor William McCready. William McCready was born and raised in London proper. Mm -hmm. He was a part of a theater family. He was a prominent and incredibly popular Shakespearean actor. He was also a theater manager. Uh He was known for being, and I'm going to quote a couple of things here, subdued, genteel, and refined in his performances. A true gentleman. Indeed. He probably wore his kid gloves often. (laughs) (laughs) To the grocery store. I doubt that he went to the grocery store. While throwing away his garbage. (laughs) All the time. He might have had a person to do that for him. And they wore kid gloves all Uh, the time. Possibly. Quite possibly. Um, Character number two here is our American actor. Who's this good old American boy? Edwin Forrest. That's a great American name. Also Forrest known as is a Ned Forrest. Ned Forrest. Mm. <laughs> yep. Mm. Yep. That's a nice Midwestern name. Well, he was born and raised in Philly. Mm-hmm. And he I didn't get as much into McCready's background because it's it, I mean he's got a lot going on. But there's a couple of things about Forrest's background that I definitely want to hit on because they're just so out there. Loves chocolate. Don't know. Life that. is like a box of them. Oh, you went with gum. Okay, I got it. I made the jump. I made the jump. Good job, you. So Edwin Forrest, his first foray onto the stage, he was, I think, at 11 or 12, and he played um, a young woman in a play. Oh, okay. So, and he took took good acclaim, nothing too crazy. Um, But when his father passed away, he quit acting. And much, I, I don't know all the details about like what he was doing during that period of time and all those sorts of things, but we do know that he participated in a couple of science experiments. All right. Right? Okay. Like, what kind of science? Do you know what nitrous oxide is? But as in, like, the, the drug for putting you in goofy sleep for, mm-hmm. for dentistry. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, he was in a nitrous oxide experiment. Okay, let's hear how that went. Um, so one what point, what did the goof juice do to old Ned? <laughs> well, it freed his inhibitions. I bet. And he just started spouting out a soliloquy from Richard the Third. Okay. Moving uh, the story of history uh, because I have right, to put right, it right, in right, there. Right, right, right. Moving the audience around him as young scientists. Right. To, to just make it happen for him. They they got him an audition because they knew other people. Now, hold on. While he was under the influence? Of no, he the... wasn't under any influence when he did his audition. Okay, all right. But they saw this, <laughs> this natural performer in front of them. This is incredible. Just <laughs> completely under was able to spout out Richard III like it was nothing. Fine, Ned Forrest, really nitrous oxide makes you an actor <laughs> more than, in less than two hours. <laughs> that would have been an interesting branding album. Right, yeah. Um, and a lot of disappointed customers, <laughs> oh, probably. Absolutely. <laughs> so, in contrast to MacReady's, um, this elitist, refined acting uh-huh. style, Good old forest. The free inhibitions. Exactly. Let's get hopped up on nitrous oxide and spout out. Not Richard. so much getting hopped up on the nitrous oxide because it was probably really expensive and impossible for him to get his own hands on. Anyway, he was the man's man. He was super masculine. Mm-hmm. He was a stouter man, so he was a little bit shorter. Yeah, that barrel stout. chest. Yes. Hairy. Yes. Handlebar mustache. I don't know if he had the. Did the, did the fighting uh, Irish hands know, a lot? It, probably wouldn't be that far off from that image that you have in your head. Um, Bully! Let's have a brawl! Very forceful, very um, emphatic. Mm -hmm. Lots of masculinity oozing from this man. I think they have a cream for that. I would like to see that because there's people that could use it. Um, Or at least some like deodorant or something. You know, it's fine. Um, so you have these two men that are really polar opposites, right? but they're both best known for their Shakespeare. Sure. Your fop and your brawny man. Exactly. Yeah. Just to kind of give you some backstory about the two of them together. Okay. William McCready had done a couple of tours. Well, had done one tour in, in, in America. I'm sorry. I have to pause you for yes, a moment. Go ahead. Is this about to turn into Bill and Ned's excellent adventure? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the timing is great, because didn't that movie just Did come it, out? Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> um, to an extent, okay. but it doesn't really get excellent, but, per se. Sure, sure. Let's just say Bill and Ned's adventure. Okay, right. We'll decide what happens. With, we'll uh, okay. we'll go with that. Um, so Bill, I'm going to uh-huh. call him Bill and Ned now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So Bill had done a pretty successful tour uh-huh. of of America. So then it, Edwin Forrest was like, you know what? I'm going to do that whole thing in England. I'm going to tour England. Oh, so okay. he went to London. And he did pretty well in his first trip. He was definitely looked at differently by his English audience, but there was a, there was a kind of um, novelty to him in the way that he performed Mm -hmm. Shakespeare and other things as well. Um, He ran in the same circles as Bill. Like they, they dined together. They, they were not friends, but friendly. Sure. Yeah. So that was great. They go back to their respective places. Bill decides, you know what? I'm going to do a second tour 
of America because that first one went pretty darn well. And he comes over the ocean and Edwin Forrest's acting manager, so his his manager, the yeah, theater yeah, manager, yeah. was like, well, let's let's build on this whole nativist idea that is that's <laughs> happening right now. Um, so we have this British actor who's going to be doing Shakespeare at this theater. Well, let's have my American actor do the same show or a very similar show at a different theater a couple a couple blocks away. Right, right, sure. So basically, everywhere that McCready went, mm-hmm. so everywhere that Bill was sent to do his his shows, Ned was not far behind. Right. This he basically is, just like yeah, trailed the, behind him. This feels sort of like a precursor to like wrestling pay-per-view. Like, a little. Yeah. Yeah. And it was one of those things where it honestly wasn't bad for either of them because mm-hmm. it got this kind of like faux rivalry yeah, going yeah, yeah. on. Yeah. The two of them didn't actually like have negative feelings towards each other as right. far as we know. But it got all the people to go but like, got, oh, well, let me go yes. watch this person and then I'll go over and watch this other person. And then I can compare and contrast. Like, so yeah. these theaters are, it's a win-win situation. So that goes as well as it can, considering what it is. So Forrest decides, you know what, that went well. I'm going to go back to England again. I'm going to try this again. I want to I wanna get some more money. That went really well. But he, he was cast in a role. Can you think of one very popular Shakespearean role that you probably don't want to do as super masculine and overly aggressive? Hamlet. What do you know? <laughs> they cast him as Hamlet. I mean, I say that, I actually could see that as, well, no, no, there was an, actually a, a fairly famous portrayal of Hamlet in a very aggressive manner, and that didn't go well either. So, um, Gibson. Oh, Gibson's yeah. Gibson's Hamlet is not it's really not good. great, and it's that very, like, it's not masculine, good. aggressive. It's not a good look yeah. for a lot of reasons. But, I mean, Hamlet's not great to begin with, but, to, but yeah, just throw that on top of it. And you know. <laughs> that we can agree to disagree. But I, we can agree on this. The the overly aggressive Hamlet probably not going to go over well with mid-19th century English sure, audiences. Sure, sure, yeah. Yeah. Right. So they want he, their philosopher, not... Exactly. They, yeah. they want their sweet prince, not like, I don't know... The Mel fighting Gibson. Irish yeah, they coming don't, in. They don't want Braveheart. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so he ran into some trouble. So at this period, rather than like straight up saying boo, whatever you didn't like something, Bam. people would hiss. Oh. Primarily because whenever you hiss, like if I'm doing, and obviously right now we're we're accentuating, so our eyes and our faces are doing Everyone's things. loving this in the but, audio podcast. I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but whenever you do that, you can do it, and you can do it too, dear listeners, in your car right now. You can do that without giving away much it's on your true, face. It's true, it's true. You can do it so very subtly. And, if yeah, people are true. hissing... You don't know where. You don't know where, where it's coming, it coming from. from. Exactly. Who, so who it's, dares it's hiss a way, at me? <laughs> specifically, I mean, when you think about the English theater at this point yeah, in time, no, it's the latest idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to be seen as the rowdy person, mm-hmm. but you want to let the actors know that they're not. Right. You're not. They're not doing here. what they need yeah. to be doing. So he ran into trouble playing Hamlet, and he was hissed. Mm. And he thought that he was much better than that. And there, there must be only one reason. It's, they can't be hissing him. 
because of his performance. They are hissing him because the English heard about the the kind of like tailing (laughs) travel that happened in America. Mm -hmm. So it's obviously a rivalry thing. And McCready had to have put them up to this. Mm -hmm. So that's that. Because all all those British people know each other. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. 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 They all look the same too. So McCready was also performing Hamlet not too far away. I believe it was up in Edinburgh. So was he doing the same thing? Were they just did they just decide, oh let's just do the same thing over? But not fully. But the 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 kicker here is that they were both playing Hamlet. Right. Forrest got hissed, assumed it was McCready's doing. Forrest goes to see McCready's version of Hamlet, Mm -hmm. gets himself a box seat so you can be you can see and be seen by the audience. And rather than just hissing under his breath at McCready, he straight up stands up in his box, (laughs) full sight, and just goes and starts hissing. Oh, I was kind of hoping he would just point. Very publicly. (laughs) (laughs) No, he wasn't going to go straight up uh, Princess Bride on it. But it's, it was definitely a, he threw down the gauntlet. So the prologue. At this point, William McCready feels like his, his kind of acting is starting to wind down. Mm-hmm. He's kind of aging out of roles that mm-hmm. he really enjoys doing. So he decides he's going to do an American farewell tour, basically. Okay, yeah. Like this is going to be his last run right. in America. Last hurrah. Just see, go to the big theaters Hit the, hit the top ten, basically, yeah. and then get on out and be done with this. So he decided that he was going to open this tour at the Astor Place Opera House on May 7th. This is voting well. With a performance <laughs> of the Scottish play Macbeth. Oh, wonderful. Uh-huh. Um, take note of that, dear listeners, because the, the... Foreshadowing. The, the Curse Ooh. of Macbeth will be uh, an episode in Hollow, in the Halloween month. So he decided that this was what's going to happen. A few days before the start of the tour, everybody knew he was coming back into town. Everyone knew that he was doing Macbeth. Everyone knew it was going to be at Astor Place Opera House. Okay. So there was a group of men, mm-hmm. um, kind of the ringleader of this group, Isaiah Rindner, or Rinder, Rinder, R-Y-N-D-R, Rinder. Um, he was kind of like a... a a ward boss. A, a what? Yes. A, what kind of to, ward? To, you know, a, like, like a like a district. Oh, okay. Like I, I'm thinking like medical ward or like, oh, no, no, asylum no, 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 ward. No, 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 is like, like a district. Okay, okay. A district um, boss. Yes. A, so uh, yeah. for okay. the downtown area. So a mayor-ish. No. No? No. Um, this was more of like an unofficial district boss. The mob. We're talking about the mob. <laughs> I'm not going to come straight out and say he was a part of the mob, but... <laughs> In a way, he does create a mob. Okay. It's just a different kind of mob. Sure. Yes. So Isaiah Rinder, mm-hmm. a couple of days before the start of the tour, is like, you know what? I have an idea of how we can let this British fop know that we don't want his kind here. Mm-hmm. And to also let all of those elitists over at the Astor Place Opera House know that they aren't better than us. Mm-hmm. So he buys up depending on where what resource you're using hundreds uh-huh. some say up to 500 tickets uh-huh. in the 
this was all in the the upper part of the loft. So okay. the the Astor Place Opera House had your basic um, orchestra seating. Right. Then you had three tiers. Okay. Sure. The top tier was the cheap tier. Yep, yeah, yeah. Was known as the cock loft. Right. Your nosebleeds. Your yeah, pretty yeah. much. And it was one of those things that was super inaccessible. So, like, to get up to that, you had to go up this, like, really super narrow staircase that you were just kind of like, eh, this is It's uncomfortable. Cool. It's, exactly. Yeah, it feels rickety so, and safe. Nobody he, really wants to be up there. Exactly. So, he bought somewhere in the vicinity of 500 or so tickets in that area up at the top. And just started handing those tickets out to all of his boys, all of his friends, mm -hmm. and all of the, specifically the Bowery boys. Right, the Rowdy boys. A, yes. So. This is sounding more and more like the mob. The mob. A little bit. <laughs> so they, the whole plan was to just disrupt the performance. Ah, just to, to, in the same yeah. way that their boy, Ned, was hissed. Right. They just want to disrupt. They're yeah. going to disrupt his yeah. performance, too. Yeah. So the show began and I, I'm trying to decide what to call them because I don't know that riot is the word that I want to use, okay. um, but the demonstrators, let's go with that. Okay. The demonstrators against McCready began to throw things upon oh, the stage. Well, okay. Any guesses? Probably rotten fruit and vegetables. Produce in yeah, general, yeah. rotten eggs, oh, rotten potatoes. Well, not the potatoes. I know. <laughs> those Irish boys, they just go from potato famine to throw in the rotten yeah. ones. Um, and other foul-smelling things. Sure, of course. Um, well, that's the whole point. That's one of, there was a substance called asafoetida. Gesundheit. Exactly. It's a part of the celery family. Okay. It was, it's, um, it's kind of like a really, really pungent onion. Okay. So they would get this in like liquid form for cooking. What is this called? I'm going to spell it for you. Mm -hmm. A-S-A-S-E-T-I-D-A. -S -S -E it's really popular in like, I think it's like a Middle Eastern cooking now. Interesting. But um, it was also used to relieve stomach gas. So... The farts. Pretty much, the yeah. And it smelled just like it. Farts and burps. So they yeah. would throw this liquidized... Basically, basically liquid fart onto right. the stage, um, which is pretty amazing. That's, that's, yeah, to that's, be fair, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty good. So they made so much noise that the play could barely be heard. And they started throwing chairs, like picking up chairs. Okay. And throwing yeah, them onto the stage. The starting to get real rowdy. That's at the point that they called off the show yeah. and McCready was forced to leave. Yeah. When he left, by the way, the balcony was just erupted into cheering yeah, yeah. they they had did, they, they came won. to do what they meant to do what they intended to do the other thing that i definitely need to make sure i bring up here because i've got a couple of um first-hand accounts quote from jt headley a historian of the period mccready has hardly uttered a single sentence before his voice was totally drowned in the uproar he then attempted to go on and out bellow if possible the audience and some of those shouts that you got from the audience, you obviously got the boos, kind of unoriginal. You got the hisses, boo hiss. Then you had some, a couple of one-liners, get off the stage, you English fool, was one that was pronounced pretty often. Good, good. Three cheers for Ned Forrest, usually created a nice rowdy, reactionary sort of chant. But my personal nice favorite. call and response Exactly, there. exactly. But my personal favorite down with the codfish aristocracy. Yeah. Because <laughs> when I think those aristocrats, I think 
codfish. <laughs> so yeah, there's that. After this evening and the show stopping mm-hmm. and him being basically pelted with everything imaginable that smells terrible, mm-hmm. McCready was like, I'm out. I'm done. This whole tour thing, canceling it, done. We're out. I'm on the first boat out mm-hmm. in the morning. But John Jacob Astor, mm-hmm. for which the the area is named for, which Astor Place Theater is also built His on. name is my name, too. Whenever we go out, the people always shout, there goes John Jacob Astor or Heimer's. But yeah, so he decided, I'm out. Yeah. I'd, I'm not doing this anymore. New York City's told me what America needs. It feels about me. I'm out. Mm-hmm. Um, but... New York City's elite, John Jacob Astor included, also people like uh, Washington Irving, um, Herman Melville, all, I think it was like, yeah, I think it was like 47 signatures on this petition. They signed a petition? They signed a petition to persuade McCready to stay in New York City and continue his tour and at least finish his his run or his performance of Macbeth for them. Did it do as well as most petitions do where it just goes straight into the garbage? So he gave in. Oh. Yeah. He gave in and announced that his Macbeth would return for one night only on May 10th at the Astra Opera House. Remember, this is the 7th, so the morning of the 8th we get this announcement. So late in the day on the 8th, they find out that this, in two days basically, the show's back on. Right. For one night only. So this is where we get to the event. It's happening. The climax. It's here. Right. So May 10th, 1849. Uh So the Bowery Boys, and specifically Isaiah Rinder, Mm -hmm. have gone around and riled up the lower and middle classes Mm -hmm. of New York City with handbills and things saying things. uh, The most famous handbill, I think, has this giant lettering. Working men, shall English or Americans rule this city? So it's like trying okay. to really bring up yeah, this yeah. You, working men. Yeah, so you've got classic, that classism. It's a, it's a, it's like the English were Americans ruling the city. So you've got the the um, nativism going on there as well. So it's really just kind of bringing all of these things that we talked about at the very beginning of this to the forefront. And everything just that has already been bubbling beneath the surface are starting to come to the top. So the mayor of New York City, who was fairly new at the point, um, and he was a he was a Whig mayor. So there's also some political stuff in this as well. A Whig mayor? Yeah, a Whig. There, there's some political they, yeah. aspects of this as well that I don't want to get into just sure. because it's not my forte. Gosh, let's bring them back though. Like the Whigs? I'm the I'm part of the Whig party. <laughs> <laughs> there's an H in there. This oh, one, right? Well, <laughs> that the... makes it a little less fun. Yeah, yeah. Whig. So the mayor of New York City, who was still fairly new to the job, mm-hmm. asked the theater owners of the Astor Place Theater or Opera House, mm-hmm. like, close it, yeah. cancel the show. This is not going to go well. Please don't. Please don't please do stop. this. The theater manager, on the other hand, was like, dude, this thing has sold out right. <laughs> and everyone's talking about it. Uh-huh. And this is my talent that I, I helped yeah. bring here. So I paid for him. And he already canceled two shows that were going to be getting me money. And there's no such thing as bad publicity. Pretty so, much. So yeah. he basically was like, um, I don't care how out of your element you feel. Do your job <laughs> and protect my theater. <laughs> so the mayor, in turn, being completely out of his element. Right. Completely, like, just 
you know that that um, robot chicken thing about the the giraffe that's stuck in the sand? Oh yeah, the, the quick stages sand. of stages of grief. Yes, he's he's like neck is already gone. Right. Like it's just his head sitting at the top of that quicksand pile yeah. at this point. And he's just like, I don't. There's someone else has got to do this. Yeah, it's just reached acceptance. Like. So he had, he arranged for hundreds of police. I think it was somewhere between 300 and 500 policemen to guard the theater inside and outside. Okay. Then he also called up the local militia. I was like, hey, you're on standby. That's always good. These are all good things. Signs that things are going to go great. All signs point to great. Yes. All of this is is kind of the preparation from the city side of things. And again, remember, the infrastructure of this area was still... Yep, yep. There are some issues here. Um, they were starting to build a... Were attempting to build, anyway, a sewer system cool. nearby. Mm-hmm. So all of the materials for building that were out in the streets. Good. Something to keep in mind as well. Pipes. Stones. Stones. Bricks. Mm-hmm. Soup for my family. Pavers. <laughs> you know, great. <laughs> right. Um, so there's there's a lot of things going on here, and it's all culminating on the steps of Astor Place yeah. Theater. Yeah. So the show starts at promptly 7.30. Cool. Good starts job. at Good promptly 7.30. Demonstrators that had already created a crowd of ten to 15,000 people in this center square center market square mm-hmm. it's it's hard to tell exactly how many people were there okay but we have this guess of somewhere between 10 and fifteen thousand people men women okay. some children some of those people might have just been people going by in the area because it's a really populated area right. and we already talked about how it's overpopulated exactly so there's there might just be bystanders that are a part of that mm-hmm. that number um but anyway so we've got a large crowd of people uh-huh. Some demonstrators were able to make it into the theater. So they had already, the police were cracking down on whenever you came in with your ticket, you have to make sure you meet all of the, the dress code. Show me your kid gloves. Right. Yeah, you got your gloves. Is your, your, your clean shave yeah. face. So you're going through all of that and you had to, I think there was like some questions. <laughs> they had their men answer, on the inside. But basically <laughs> they were trying to, I know, right? They were trying to, to kind of like rustle out the ruffians who right. did the same thing that they did yeah. last time where yeah. you've got a bunch of tickets just so you could get in and cause havoc. Yeah. But there were some that still made it through. That, that kind of internal can't, barricade. Can't get rid of the rowdy boys. So those rowdy boys started making a racket again. And the show surprisingly went on with fairly small hiccups, primarily because McCready would point out the rioters in character as Macbeth. <laughs> so the police... I want to I know how that went. <laughs> I wish I knew more. Um, like, I would love to have just, seen like, that. Just, pull out a sword and just point. Start pointing at people. Like, well, I mean, is this the dagger I see before me? Right there. there. Row 13. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. Um, but during intermission, the police arrested a, a large group of these demonstrators. Mm-hmm. Um, they were placed, because obviously you can't arrest 
people that are a part of a giant group of protesters outside and take them outside through those people, that's going to cause an issue. Oh, okay. Right? So they arrest them and they take them into the bowels of the theater. So like right underneath the stage Mm -hmm. in this like makeshift cell. Which is just what they wanted. (laughs) Well, they tried to light a fire. (laughs) Start the heist music. This is Ocean's (laughs) Eleven. They're just like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if only. Um, so they tried to light a fire beneath the stage. Oh, cool. But remember, I told you at the very beginning. It's very flammable. Yes, I did tell you that part. But I also told you this is not a story There's about no fire. fire. Yeah, so it it caught fire enough to really smoke out the hallway. Like, oh, crap, fire. But they were able to get it under right. control before anything. If, if, if nothing else, they had the infrastructure, I suppose, for fire suppression. Well, I think it was more so people came in and it just kind of took care of right. it. Okay. It wasn't it wasn't a big enough fire that you can like stomp it out sort of thing. The demonstrators were able to get word out to their compatriots in the street, though, that mm. they were being held. Mm-hmm. At some point amongst all of this, yes. mind you, the show is still going on. Okay. Mm-hmm. It all throughout this right. entire thing. Yep. People getting pointed out, grabbed, pulled yes. from their seats. But not only stuck that. Stuck in the bowels, lighting things on fire. But you literally, <laughs> you're on stage as McCready and the rest of his cast. Uh-huh. And you're performing this play. Mm-hmm. You're in the audience trying to watch this play. And you can hear the protesters outside. Right. You can hear the ruckus in the lobby. Right. You can hear all of these things going on. So, I mean, how I focused can't, are I you on the play? I can't imagine this was a great performer. Like, <laughs> Maybe we should just, well, why so do we even there, show up There this? are historians, and by that I mean, like, there are some articles from the period that were like, this was his best performance ever. And it's like, really, was it? Does anyone know? But anyway, would he agree with that? So anyway, these demonstrators at some point during this moment, um, and this is where the story kind of comes in, because I couldn't corroborate this among all of my sources, okay. but there was two sources that said this so that gives me either one made it up and the other one stole it or there's something going on here um but there may or may not have been here's the short story um a police officer in the lobby of the theater that stuck a hose through one of the windows and began to spray down the crowd Uh and in an attempt i know right in some sort of attempt to to Subdue the Subdue crowd them, get them to disperse, the, disperse yeah. them. Um, the crowd, on the other hand, and this is not the the, the police officer and the host thing is not corroborated, right. but the rest of this is. So something, whatever that may have been, activated the audience. Got these boys all activated wet. Activated all of these people out in the streets. Yeah. Start so taking off their shirts. I'm going to keep on moving Dancing past around. this. <laughs> all these rowdy boys, uh, rowdy shirtless boys. The rowdy rough boys. So David Bowie. I'm not going to go with that primarily <laughs> because that would have been super dangerous with what they're going to do next. Oh, um, I don't know if I like that. Well, they start grabbing those loose pavers. Oh, right, right. The pavers and the pipes. Exactly. And, yeah. and start throwing them at people. Right. They throw them at the oh. police. They use them to hit the police. They start throwing them at the gaslight street lamps. That's all. Mm-hmm. So it gets to the point where obviously broken glass and things of that nature. But the only light that is really in the street is coming from the moon and from the interior of the theater. Mm-hmm. So there's this creepy kind of like one creepy lighting. Right. Setting a great mood. Yes. But yes. two, it made it more 
difficult for everyone to see what was right, going yeah, on. Right, yeah, yeah. You can't, yeah, you're in the dark. Now you're, you don't know who is that. Is that exactly. a police officer or, uh, or is uh, that one or, of the rowdy uh, boys? Or the... rioter. So by 9 p.m., the police were taking heavy hits because of all of this, right. this, this stuff going on. Their lines were in danger of being broken. So the mayor and the police chief of New York City. Call in the militia. Let's call in the militia, boys. So the play continued to go on. Joy's the Lord. How? <laughs> it ended roughly around it's 10. Not just consummate professionals here working in the theater. As soon as the play ended. The show must go on. McCready fled the opera house in disguise. <laughs> made it to his hotel. I, I'm just, I got, like. I, I, I like, mean, you're in a theater. Grease paint and a mustache and, I mean, like. I don't, I don't. Fake like, eyebrows. I, I am imagining that unibrow. he put on, like, a hump. Yeah. Or something. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a mustache. Because mm-hmm. you can't have that Probably in the removed the kid gloves even. Yep. Mm-hmm. Just to be safe. Sure. Um, but he, no matter what it was, he left the, the theater in disguise, made it to his hotel room, and almost immediately booked it up to Boston, right. which was the next stop on yeah. his tour. <laughs> yeah. um, never looked back, never actually returned to... New York ever again. <laughs> they don't put a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. He was like, "All right, we out, we done." I incited All violence. Done. This is this is done. So once the militia arrived, just to also clarify that Ned had like nothing to do with this, right? Like, so, was he even like there or around? Remember Isaiah yes. Rinder that we talked yes. about? Yeah, that's so the he mob was boss. that was kind of instigating a right. lot of yeah. this. Yeah. He was really good friends with Edwin Forrest. Oh. Okay. We know that they met during mm-hmm. this four-day extravaganza between the seventh, the start of the tour, and the actual riot taking place on the tenth. Mm-hmm. We know we don't think that he had anything to do with the planning of anything going on. Allegedly, I mean, he was in a show that same night. Allegedly, he was literally <laughs> performing Spartacus. Uh, I am Spartacus, exactly an anti-elitist character. Not even a mile down the road at the Broadway Theater in Bowery proper, um, or in the Bowery District proper. Right. So he was busy. Right. He has an alibi yeah, yeah, for the riot. Yeah. Now, whether he knew what was coming and just didn't try to stop it. Right. It was just, I don't know that he necessarily would have given his blessing. Like, this is a great plan. Go do it. But he might have heard about it and been like, I'm going to be over here. I'm just going to be over here doing my thing. I'm not going to stop you from doing your Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. Questions. Questions abound. Yes. But nonetheless, they were the catalyst. Right. These two men performing were the catalyst. Yes. So we have to get to the actual full-on riot. Because we've already got a little bit of the riot. That wasn't it? No. It continues. It gets worse. So once the militia arrived, remember, we just called in the militia. Right. The show is ending. The militia are on their way. Right. Um, Once the militia arrive, they are asked, they're basically attempt to charge, bayonet charge the crowd. Oh, no. But since the crowd is so thick, and packed together. Two C's. The crowd uh, with two C's, <laughs> yeah. possibly even three. Wow. That's so they, real thick. whenever I mean, think about it. Whenever you're looking at like um, group war tactics, whenever you've got somebody coming at you, mm-hmm. if you've got a very tight group of people, right. 
between all of the people, it's harder to... The phalanx. You've got exactly. To, yeah, yeah. Yes, there's a bigger target, if you think about it, but there's a lot more space for someone to reach in and basically take the weapon yeah, from you. more strength and mass. And, exactly. Yeah. So the bayonet charge ended up with just arming some of the riders <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. who were able to then grab the bayonet and turn it upon the militiamen. Right. Because again, militiamen weren't like trained no, military. They're, yeah, they're they were just they were probably like, people that worked with the people they were coming up against. Right, yeah. Anyway, so the, the bayonet charge did not work. The commanding officer then issued the order to shoot above their heads to try to get everybody to disperse. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Things are starting to sound a little too familiar yeah, right now. Sure. Right? Yeah. Then the final order was given when they did not disperse, to fire low. So basically, wound, do not kill. Right, sure. They fired low, depending on the research, three to four times. The crowd backed away, but did not back down. Uh-huh. They continued to, to throw rocks and throw pavers and riot amongst themselves and kind of build them up, build themselves up into like this, this stupor. To the point that the militiamen then brought two cannons in somewhere in the realm of like 11, 1130 at night and threatened to fire into the crowd if they did not disperse. At that point, the, the group finally retreated. Good. Um, and continuing to throw stones and curses Great. at the militia all the while, but they finally retreated at that. By the time the streets were cleared... And again, this is late at night, so you're you're kind of and they completely ruined all of the street light. Right. Like there is yeah. none. Yeah. So it's kind of hard for the people to even see the streets fully yeah. until dawn. Mm-hmm. But by the time that they're able to actually like the streets are cleared completely in the light of day, the harsh, harsh light of day <laughs> has risen. There were eighteen dead. And several more wounded, severely wounded. By the time that all of those who were severely wounded, anybody of of those ones passed away and things, there were at least 22, possibly up to 25 people who died as a direct result of the Astor Place riot. Dozens more were wounded and more than 100 different citizens were arrested as a result of this specific riot. And at that point in New York City's history, it was the deadliest riot to ever occur in the city of New York. Congrats! I know, right? (laughs) So the fallout is not only this, you get this bubbling up of social tensions from so many different angles, but you also have the fallout on the actors in the theater. So McCready would never... Like he finished his tour and left and did not, yeah, that, yeah. that just wasn't a thing. Yeah. There were still English actors who would come and do their performances. Right, right. but I'm sure there's a bit of a... But there was some tentative yeah. going on there. That's not the word I want to use. Yeah. They were ten- Yes, they were tentative to be able to, to, to return to New York, right. specifically to anywhere near the Bowery. Right. In the same way, you've got this American theater scene that is starting to figure out what does American theater mean? We see the split between highbrow and lowbrow theater starting. We get this. We see this split where again, this elitist Shakespeare versus the people's Shakespeare. Because right, right. originally, it had always been the people's Shakespeare. Right. I mean, when he wrote it, it was for the people. It just so happened to be in England, so right. it was for the English people at that point in time. But all of that to say, the other big thing that really, really. Had affected it was the the opera house the 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 theater itself Mm -hmm. it would never fully recover 
after this incident. The venue earned some pretty, pretty great, well, pretty harsh nicknames. Let's go with harsh. Um, Bad Yelp reviews. Yeah. Um, one of them is the Massacre Opera House. <laughs> My favorite is the Disaster Place Theater. Clever, clever. Yeah. yeah. It, it, there, yeah. there was some luck there just in the fact that it was originally named Aster Place Theater right. and changing it to the Disaster Place yeah, Theater. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was sold uh, shortly afterwards. The building was demolished when it was <laughs> sold and replaced with a library. Well, okay. Which is pretty cool. Silver linings. Yes. Yeah, they renamed the building because they just didn't want anything, any sort of connection right. to that uh, incident anymore. There is a, a plaque, I believe, <laughs> on Astor Street saying that this is this is the place where the, the riots occurred. But the building itself is, well, the original building is gone. The building that they replaced it with, the library building, it they upgraded it to like a, like a nine or eleven story building or something. And now it still stands today. Mm-hmm. And the basement, the the first level, like the the ground floor, is a Starbucks. Well, that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's one of the older Starbucks in New York City. I don't know that that makes it any better. A Starbucks. <laughs> Hooray history. <laughs> Oh, this is where the Astor Place riots took place. Oh, I guess I'll have a venti. Pumpkin chai latte, yeah. please. Two pumps with soy milk and almond joy. And I don't I don't order anything from Starbucks. I don't know what I'm talking about. But yeah, so, so this was, this is the Astor Place riots. That's cool. So what do you. It's not cool. That was actually, it was, that's bad. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it is bad. It is bad. It's something that is an important part of history and a very important part of theater history. Mm-hmm. But then also the social things that were going on uh-huh. are very relevant. No, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't see any possible parallels here during our current situation. Well, I didn't get into any of the political <laughs> stuff, but believe me, the political stuff no, is pretty yeah, relevant. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, it's the, the correlations are kind of, creepy mm-hmm. when I think about it. So that's that's why I'm a little I'm a little against the idea of calling them rioters right. primarily yeah. because that is such a it's it's such a loaded term yep. and the history that we have was not written by the Bowery boys. No. The history that we have is written by the John at Jacob Astors right. and the Herman Melvilles, literally the Herman Melvilles and Washington Irvings. Yeah is where we get our writings from. Right, right, yes. <laughs> um, there are those one-off accounts from the period, right. but you take them as with a grain of salt no, but even, as even well. In these, even in these accounts where it's like, it, it's unclear exactly what happened, like there's, you still see the potential for like, oh, well, was that really what happened? Or is that yeah. like, you know, was there something else that provoked there? Or, you know. yeah. So I, I hope that this was at least a little interesting. And I think starting next week, we're going to get four solid weeks, possibly. I think it's four, four weeks of, of, of spooky, spooky October. I so, shouldn't say uh, that. That's a, the four whole weeks of, of spooky things. Yes. We did not say spooks. <laughs> yeah. Spooks is a bad term. That's, that's got a, a long history and honestly spooky and itself has a, I suppose is it is a derivative yeah, of yeah, that, yeah. which is. Definitely something that we can talk about too. Just the 
you don't necessarily it's not it's not a good word right i feel like it's it, gotten uh, there's the distance there has, yes. has, has but grown not only that, that but it's really things is. like um the f word for homosexual men right, right yeah. that originally meant something completely different right, a bundle of sticks exactly so there's there's things of, or also um cigarettes Oh yeah, if you're yeah. Can I bomb one of those? Yeah. And and I I personally have an issue saying the word now because of the connotations it has now. Right. And spook and spooky. The etymology is very negative. Right. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. Seriously. Spooky, I think, while it originally come from a place of negative description. Right. I think it has been it's evolved, in, right? Yeah, it yeah, has yeah, been it's, it has evolved it's adapted into something else. Yeah. So there's let's, be, let's let's just be yeah. say spoopy. That's fine. Spoopy. Let's go with that. Let's go with the spoopy month. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, that is fun to say. Yeah, spoopums. Yeah. So we're gonna talk about some spoopums for the next four weeks, and as most people, I'm assuming, who are listening to this know, all theaters are haunted. Yes. So it's going to be fun. Even the brand new built ones, they've got a ghost in them. Oh, they do somewhere. <laughs> you just got to find somebody them. Somebody died while they were building it, yep. and then they're yep. stuck in the elevator or whatever. Yep. Yeah. We'll tell uh, some, some of our spooky of... Or our spooky ghost stories yeah. from theaters that we've worked in. Okay. That'll be one day sure, sure. of the month. I have shut down the website because no one was looking at it, and it was just oh. me putting a bunch of things on it, and Not then no yet. one would look on it but me. So if you're interested in learning more about the citations for each episode, um, DM me on Instagram and I am more than happy to, to kind of, can we put it in like the descriptions? Can you, I don't know how long your bibliographies are, so I don't know if it's worthwhile. Doing it depends. That, I might be able to put it in the, the descriptions of the Instagram posts okay. without too much of an issue. But if you're interested, let me know. I will make sure to find another place that is more easily accessible to, to make sure that you have access to my citations as well. But yeah, uh, continue to, to check us out on Instagram. I'm not the best at, at posting pictures, but um, I will do my best to, to kind of up that game soon as Get well. Occasional dog photos. Yes, yes. Is As he sits here right next to me. As we finish off this episode, anything you would like to add? Uh, no, keep keep cool, cats, and have a good. I don't know where I'm going with this. I don't have, know. have a good day, everybody. All Stay I could safe. think about was cool cats and kittens. Yeah, no, no. like a Tiger King route. Uh, She's on oh. Dancing with the Stars right now. Are you now. serious? <laughs> All right, we got it. Sorry, sorry, I'm getting distracted. Thank yep. you, everybody. Have a great time. Stay safe out there. Wear a mask. Keep yes. your hands. Wear a mask. Tip your waiters and serve anybody that is helping you, you serving you. Professionals. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Okay, bye. bye.